So, Warwick, if you were a superhero, which one would you be? I would be Invisible Man, because then I could hide from this video. <laughs> Welcome to the Tradings Business Show, helping you get off the tools and into true business ownership, so you can spend more time doing the things that matter most. Now, here are your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Michaela Clark. And welcome back to another episode of the Tradies Business Show with video. See, I was trying to be clever and, you know, do some cool video marketing at the top of the show when I asked our question and Mr. Star over here got all... Smart. <laughs> Stuffed it up on you. <laughs> yeah, I was being invisible on air just then. Did you notice? Dead air? Right. Uh, oh, all right, let's move on. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Uh, being pro is not one of our strong points at the Tradies Business Show podcast. No, but our guest today is. Yes, the guest that we're getting, that's our strong point, isn't it, Michaela? <laughs> Thank <laughs> goodness for something. <laughs> yeah, so today's guest is a cracker. Yes, so a good friend of mine, Joy Leishman, from um, the local area around here in Caboolture that we live, and uh, she has an amazing success story, and they started it as a tradie business, but actually grew to be a international exporter um, with a worldwide patent of a very very unusual product and it all went from hearing you know a complaint on a job site to you know developing something that really is quite unique can we sh- can we share now what the product is or should we let them figure it out from the interview maybe we let them see how long it takes them to cuz I, I have to admit when i was when joy came in and we were chatting to her she's talking about tv repairs all that sort of stuff and i'm thinking okay this is going to be one of those interviews like, I know you said this is a great friend and he's really looking forward to this, but I'm like, this isn't that exciting. Sorry, Joy, if you're listening, but it did, it did get a lot better. And, I, <laughs> then, and then I was like, ah, oh, right. So, so the company's called Aussie Light and <laughs> it's not to do with lighting. We'll, we'll, we'll let them figure it out. Yeah. So you have to listen to the end. There you go. <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah. And we'll put some uh, pictures of the, yes. of the invention. The thing. Yeah. On yep. the website, so you can have a look. But anyway, have a listen to her. She's got some great tips yeah. for um, running a good business, as well as, you know, for those that keep tinkering with ideas and think there's something uh, going away in the back of their workshop that they should try and get out to market. So Joy knows her stuff. She does. She's worth a listen. See you at the other end. And welcome to the show, Joy. Thank you. Lovely to be here. G'day, Joy. Great to have G'day. you on the show. Thank you. Now, Joy has an amazing story that I, th- I heard her speak at a local function and I just thought she has to share this story to our listeners because I think it's such a great um, example of actually looking what the market can offer and seeing opportunities to maybe take a different direction in life. And so I thought, you know, come on, share her story today with our tradie friends and see what they can take away. Take it away, Joy. So how did it start? Years ago, um, yeah, you had your own business. Well, we have a, we own a company today called Aussie Light, which has made the progression from we were TV techs, so tradies. Yep. Uh, we had quite a, a large business that we'd had for a long time, but we were essentially um, tradies. Uh, we became inventors, and now for nearly 20 years we've been Australian manufacturers. Um, I guess if we go back in time, but, and, and parts of it, Will sound a bit funny, but we've actually had a very, always had a very close working relationship with jails, yeah. and, okay. and and that was actually what, if you like, opened the door. 
In fact, uh, way, way back when Boggo Road as a jail uh, was operating, uh, at one of our companies then did all the aerials um, to install colour television, which was big news, and put aerials on the external walls of Bogger Road Jail. So Ron at the time actually was on perched on top of a ladder on top of a wall installing a TV aerial with guys with very serious guns at the bottom of the ladder. <laughs> but we were tradies. We were TV techs. Uh, and we always had this relationship with prisons. Uh, Woodford Prison um, had been built and it was the largest, most modern prison in the Southern Hemisphere. It had a thousand, the capacity to um, house a thousand inmates. A- and they had a thousand televisions. Mm. So we had a very regular uh, relationship with <laughs> Woodford Prison um, fixing their televisions. And what was born out of that weekly conversations as they would pick up a TV and we would talk about the goings-on at the prisons was the challenges um, that they were having out there with smokers. Uh, when the prison originally opened, it was supposed to be non-smoking um, and in a very short time after that, there was a very serious fire um, by the um, inmates and a uh, huge amount of damage. Um, so what had actually happened in this maximum security prison, uh, they were allocating small um areas, uh, two guards with a big lighter to personally light the cigarettes for the inmates. Hugely uh, cost intensive for wages, but also uh, quite dangerous. These mm. Woodford at that time, and I think still today, housed the worst of the worst of our prisoner population. So there was all sorts of very serious concerns about um, at the labour cost of this, uh, the non-smoking hadn't worked and, and how could they do it in a more safe manner? And if you like, the prison system had the, the, ge- the germ of an idea but they just didn't have the application. And from our discussions, we knew that they'd been to a number of um, electrical contractors and other avenues trying to find a solution but it literally was a conversation within our workshop as they picked up their television where somebody said, do you think you could make us a cigarette lighter? And so it became like the great foreign order in the workshop. That if everyone's got a workshop, there's always a foreign order on the go, one you're never going to get paid for. Well, this became our foreign order. And we started developing it. And there were discussions um, at some point, the architect um, building the prison came out and had a look at it and then gave us a whole lot of other challenges, which we thought, yeah, we can't, we can't. H- how can we make this waterproof? How can we make it metal-proof? How can we make it a whole range of things? Um, and my husband worked his way through all of the challenges and, uh, and we came up with what we thought uh, was a product. And how long did it take you to get that product from the initial idea through to something that may work? Uh, it was probably about six to nine months, but it, it was a foreign order in a workshop. We were a very large TV. And this is back in the days when you got your videos repaired. <laughs> so this was, um, this was a business that probably booked um, maybe 150 jobs a week uh, with a number of technicians. So... The developer, and we didn't see any future for this. It wasn't that 
um, we actually thought we were building something that would one day keep us. We were just a bit mentally challenged by solving a problem. Mm. In fact, even when we started selling them, we didn't see the potential for the product. Now it has um, enormous potential. We didn't see 17 years ago that oil and gas would be the major part of our business. We didn't see 17 years ago that the great majority of our trade would be international, but Mm. that's how it started. So when I first heard your business name, I was thinking about lighting, as in the electric things in the ceiling, (laughs) not about lighting cigarettes for inmates in maximum security (laughs) prisons. So where did all of that end up then? Because that was a while ago now that all that story started. Where is that now? The name came from my husband, um, and it's obviously Aussie for Australian, um, and for light, uh, lighting a cigarette. Um, And it was as simple as that. And... uh, he came up with the name. Um, it, it all ha- once we had developed the product, but it, it things happened very quickly at that point. So we had worked and worked and worked. Corrective Services then said to us, "We need you to solve this and this," and we had. And then there was this conversation where they said, "We're going to be ready to order these. We're now on a." a major building program for prisons. We're actually going to redesign all of the prisons that are about to be built, and there was about six in Queensland alone at that point. We're going to redesign the prisons because for them, all of a sudden, they were going to have what they call smoking rooms. Um, The guards could then be behind glass. They could just simply uh, install our lighters in the walls and the um, inmates would have their cigarettes. So for them, all of a sudden, a huge problem had been solved and there was a a prison redesign. Um, I sat in my office then that day and thought, you know, obviously all the workshops celebrating that they've solved all of these (laughs) challenges. And I, you know, for 20 years before this, we had owned a service company. We had only ever fixed televisions and VCRs and... You know, sure, we'd done some upper-end electronic equipment, but I understood all of a sudden this was quite different. And I thought I needed to talk to a lawyer. So I I phoned my own family lawyer and was told, you know, Joy, you're out of my league. (laughs) I have no idea what to do. That sounds expensive. (laughs) And, uh, you know, good old, you know, that thing that doesn't exist anymore, Yellow Pages. So I went to Yellow Pages. I, I don't think I... I think I knew the word patent... Yeah. Um, I now know that I've probably paid for the retirement of several patent attorneys, <laughs> but it was all it was all new world. And, and look, it was about I always value business on relationships. If I meet someone and you know they they understand what I'm saying and they treat my business well, I'm a client for life. On that particular Thursday afternoon, I phoned a company in Brisbane. Um, and the, I explained to the receptionist that I had no idea what I was talking about. We had developed a product. I thought I needed a patent, but I really didn't know what I wanted. It was as vague as that. She put me through to a lawyer, and I spoke to him that afternoon, and he remained our patent attorney to this day. Wow. Yep. So that was to ring a law firm, and this was a city law firm in Brisbane, I thought was pretty impressive. 
And he said, most important piece of information, hold everything. Have you made a sale? And I said, no, but we're about to get some orders. He said, well, if you have a sale, you can't get a patent. You can only get a patent before you get the order or the sale. And I went, okay, I'm going to ring Corrective Services and make sure that gets held up. Now, I had heard the stories about getting patents and I thought, well, this will be a very involved process. Mm. Um, It was exceptionally easy. (laughs) So this was a Thursday afternoon. Uh, Ron and I went to Brisbane Friday. Uh, We took down, you know, the little bits of drawings that we had. We took down a lighter Um, over that weekend. This is before we had email. Um, on a fax fax machine, uh, we drew pictures, drew electrical wirings, um, and we actually lodged our patent pending for worldwide on that Monday. Wow! So uh, we were protected, and then later that week, the orders came in. Well, it's it's so good that you got advice before you didn't get carried away. Oh, we're going to make all this money, and this is great. We're getting sales come through straight away. It was like, hang on, how do we protect ourselves and, and look at some quality advice? Yeah, and that was some advice from obviously our own good local lawyer who said, you're out of my league, and, and directed us not to where we should go, but to find one. So, yes, and, and you know, just the service. Who, who can ring a large city law firm today and talk to the patent attorney so we stayed with them to this day yeah Mm. so joy how has this changed your business i mean uh you know this was a a bit of an off the wall kind of opportunity i guess in a lot of ways but how has that changed your business now? And, and well, we don't fix TVs on? anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly don't fix VCRs. <laughs> no, we don't fix VCRs. And look, we were very conscious, um, you know, just as a family, uh, we would often sit on our back deck and, you know, we'd been a long time in the TV service business and it was pretty trying. At this point, you know, you've got high volume, low cost imports. You know, we're still paying top line technicians. You could see crunch time was coming for our industry and we'd spent a long time dealing with the public and we used to sit on our back deck and go, wouldn't it be lovely to sell widgets? (laughs) Wouldn't it be lovely to make and sell widgets that we don't have to talk to anyone while we do it? Wouldn't it be lovely to sell widgets only to government because they always pay? Wouldn't it be nice to have a business that we actually don't have to interact with customers and you know that's that sounds like we'd become pretty jaded and we probably were if you've been in the service business for a long time particularly where it was heading it was getting harder and harder to make a dollar we had become jaded and you know we we didn't want to deal with people anymore and we only wanted to deal with people who would pay um you know, at, at that point in our business, we were dealing with a lot of warranty work and, you know, manufacturers were falling over every other week. And, you know, I always say that, you know, we, we were in the TV service industry, which was a very large industry in Australia at one point. I was nine years old when television came to Queensland. So I actually remember a life before television. When I married my husband at 20... He worked for a company called O'Donnell Griffin. In Brisbane alone, they had 65 technicians on the road every day fixing television. 
huge enterprise, huge industry that blossomed and grew right up until, you know, the 1980s, 1985. This was a massive industry that virtually disappeared in a decade. And there was no package, and nor should have there been, nor should have there been. So I'm always a bit, you know, down when people say, oh, my industry disappeared because of government regulation and I want a package. What rubbish. My industry disappeared because of high volume, low cost imports, which were good, because I love the fact that we can have all of this technology. I love the fact that you can go into classrooms. I love the fact that families, wherever they are in their life, have great access to good technology. That's what high-volume, high low-cost imports does for us. That's a value to a nation, but yet completely destroyed our industry. So we were very aware that, you know, obviously we needed to do something else and uh, an Aussie light come along. And it took a long time before it actually became the major source of income um, because we, we actually never understood its potential. The mm. product has always led us. We thought we would sell a few to um, prisons. And then we got an order from Auckland. I always remember that. It was our first overseas sale. And it was the Roman Centre in Auckland. And we went, oh... Maybe we can sell some more overseas. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here listening to this story thinking, holy crap, you've got a worldwide patent for this thing. There must be millions of these units that you could sell around the globe. Yeah, but it didn't occur to us at the time. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and we hadn't thought about hospitals. Um, and it was, you know, Walston Park and all of those in Queensland, I must say, embraced the product and you know, really bought from us first up, which was just awesome. And so how many countries have you, do you export to now? Oh, I have no idea, but it, it's almost, I can tell you who we don't. Yeah. So um, we certainly have a very large presence in Europe um, and we have distributors over there. We have a very large presence in the UK um, and we have a distributor there and we know that they sell. We We, we understand that the great majority of the oil and gas um, industry in the UK we're suppliers of. And we actually often don't see the end supplier because there's distributors. Uh, we have a very strong presence in Asia uh, with a number of distributors and, of course, the US. Um, so the US, I, I believe, is mainly uh, corrective services, jails. Uh, but again, we're watching that Houston area, the Gulf of Mexico, all of that area with their oil and gas growing. But, you know, we've sold a lot into Nigeria. Um, Azerbaijan, I can tell you, is the <laughs> centre of the world for oil and gas at the moment. We don't sell to China. We don't sell to Japan. Um, we don't sell very much to India. But we don't sell a lot to South America but there is a, a, a big cluster of oil and gas now developing out of Brazil. Um, so in the office, on any day of the week, any hour of the day, because the orders come in through the night, we're selling to every corner of the world. And, of course, um, the Arab Emirates states is huge for us. So, Joy, how have you guys kept up with this growth? You said, um, not just the growth, but you said, you know, you've been led by the product in a lot of ways. How have you guys kept up with this? Because it sounds like this, you know, one of the, not rags to riches stories, but it's certainly been 
I guess, a bit of a, you know, out of the blue kind of success story as I listen to you. How have you guys kept up with this personally? Um, my husband, Ron's very clever <laughs> and he can, and he's the inventor. And I think, you know, as the lighter those we make today are vastly different to what we made 17 years ago. And it was only a couple of years ago that um, all of that oil and gas up in northwest Australia, they wanted solar-powered cigarette lighters uh, because they ha- their sites are not connected to the grid. So we developed those. So a lot of our lighters now are solar panels. So that's all developed by Ron. So Ron's very clever in a technical sense. But, of course, you, you don't start a business like this without understanding... Um, internet presence and search engines and um, and our son Adam, um, you know, has has certainly looked after all of that. And our worldwide presence is very much based on the work that Adam has done. So you find most of your leads are, are coming through the internet. Out of That's the only in way. Yeah. yeah, we actually never see a customer. Yeah, <laughs> lucky you. Yeah. So back to the <laughs> so back to the widget conversation. Uh, we pretty much. Um, we don't see customers. Yeah. Um, an order comes in. Um, I actually still read every order every day because I'm very interested and in follow up the cluster work of which country is that order coming from, what industry is it, and then there's some things I do. Um, but back to the widget conversation, so it's an email that comes in, we respond. Because we've now been doing it for a long time, the, the product has substance in the market where Mm. 10 years ago we would have had to have worked really hard to get that sale explain what it was what its safety things are we don't have to do that anymore Um, the product has product recognition um, and we we don't send anything that doesn't leave australia unless we're paid distributors obviously run an account but uh, we we don't nothing leaves australia without our money in the bank and it's great that you're still building them in Australia. and Building and, them here in Caboolture. Yeah, so great export story yep. that you can still compete in the um, international marketplace without having to, you know, go offshore. To, yeah, to more people them. knock on your door but wanting you to build overseas than build, knock on your door wanting you to stay in Australia. I mean, mm. you know, there's a whole lot of uh, political stuff that needs to be understood about Australian manufacturers. You're virtually ignored, and I'm not being political whilst... I am a political person. There's no one. There's no one out there helping, and we don't want dollars. But in the early days, we could have done with some assistance by way of information, and it wasn't. It was never there. So we figured it out for ourselves. And that's something that. Uh, and sorry to make a bit of a segue here, Joy, but it's it's part of Michaela's and my motivation for this particular podcast for tradespeople is. We find there's just a lack of support and information out there for people in trades, and particularly, I guess, blue-collar businesses, which is my family heritage as well. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of good information out there that's accessible for people like that. No. So it is absolutely a vacuum of nothingness. And I guess my frustration would be for every plumber, electrician, carpenter that we all know that have been working for a long time, I bet there's a tool they've picked up one day when they've said, you know, if it just did this or if we could just get, you know, there would be a thousand good ideas out there that never 
get a go on. A, a lot of people don't have the capacity to, like we had a workshop, so we were pretty lucky. Um, so, you know, that helps. But even if they got past to developing the product, it's it's a vacuum that you've actually got to find your way through. And, you know, that's where government should be, you know, teaching people what it is. I, I met with a, um, a member of local government a little while ago in like economic development uh, department and um, I had a long conversation with her over lunch one day and they were really struggling with what is that particular council's role in supporting and promoting local business mm. uh, and I was trying to get that across to her that it should be in this facilitation role rather than trying to create jobs or programs or any of that sort of crap. It should actually just be providing a space for business to develop and encourage people to share those great ideas because, like you say, there must be so many fantastic ideas out there. I'm sure our listeners are rattling around in their cars or, or at home at the moment. Uh, sitting on a good idea, you really need to grab that and share it and do something about it because even if it goes nowhere, it doesn't matter. But it could be the next Aussie light. You mm. just don't know. Um, and Michaela knows, but I spent a long time in local government and I spent a long time... Um, if you like, as part of the engine for driving economic development in local government. And unfortunately, um, local government, some of them, think that having a guest speaker to a lunch is economic development. That's just a load of rubbish. The only value for having a lunch or a breakfast is the conversation that happens at the table. Um, in this area or anywhere, anywhere in Australia. If you want to create real economic development in your local area and local jobs, just bring your business people together. Find your clusters. Work out what their supply chains are. So, you know, I know what my supply chain is, um, but I know that in this region people would be moving in here all the time who may be able to um, provide parts of my supply chain. That 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 is a really... Um, easy, practical way for a local government to do economic development. Work on your clusters, work on your supply chain, um, and then you create local jobs, real local jobs. Yeah, and sustainable as well. And and I know uh, we kind of have an unspoken commitment not to talk about religion, politics, or what's the other one? Sugar on this particular <laughs> podcast. Yeah, good luck with that, Michaela. Yeah, no. um, but uh, but it, they are such great points, Joy. And great to hear it from somebody who's been on the inside, as I do the inverted commas symbol here. Um, so I, I just want to go back to you talked about you know, sitting on the back deck, being a bit jaded about the service business and, you know, the fact that VCRs might not be around for much longer. Um, it's almost like you you put out to the universe your <laughs> ideal business and then attracted it. Yeah. And yeah, we, we often laugh. To this day, we laugh about it because that's how – and, and it, was, it was born out of the jaded. Um, and, and I say this to all the tradies who have been, you know, out there providing service. There are those days. Certainly there are the days you get the wonderful customer, but there are those others and uh, you do become jaded and we had become that those people. Do you think putting it out there like that and being, it sounds like you're pretty clear about what your ideal business would be, do you think you were more open to or aware of the opportunity when it did come up that perhaps, I know this is a bit of a leading question, but you know, without any idea about what you'd rather be doing, it's hard to actually notice any opportunities out there in front of you if and when they do go past. 
I think it, look, obviously there was a degree of openness, but it was never the business we ever dreamed we were in. If you, if my husband had his way, he'd be on a boat somewhere. <laughs> he'd be selling boats. He'd be at a marina. That's his. Is that the next business? <laughs> his, uh, his entire, he's an accidental electronics person. He's very good at it, but he comes from the days when, you know, your dad, organized your trade you know the dad rang up the dad's mate and said i've got a son um and you know so ron actually went into a trade that followed a conversation between two fathers so and that's how it was that sounds bizarre today so electronics shall we say was never his chosen field um boats is his chosen field but he ron's always been a person who fixes everything and when this this idea came into the workshop, it was just, it was never about the business. It was about what he could make it work. And when the architect said, yeah, but we've got to be able to hose these things. So Ron had, had this beautiful lighter that, you know, could light cigarettes. And then they said, oh, but we only want it to go for 10 seconds. Oh, we only want it to do this. And instead of, I'm sure a lot of people would have at that point, well, well that's just impossible. But, you know, every challenge he quietly, and, and we were obviously still running the TV business because this obviously wasn't ever going to look like it was going to keep us at, at that point. We had no idea. Um, so, yeah, I think it was more that he wanted to build something that worked. Mm, more about uh, ways that we can rather than reasons we can't. Mm. So you've been in business a long time, uh, and, that, and that's not that's a nice thing to say. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> you may very have taken that. that. Thank you. Yes, very experienced in business. What do you think are some of the, the key mistakes that small businesses are making these days? Oh, look, and we see it all the time with tradies because, um, as you know, we've got a number of businesses. I think that... You know, young people start out in their business. They, they've got a new car, they've got a new set of tools, whatever whatever the trade is. And they think, well, I'll go out and I'll just undercut all the other guys that are out there. And so they do it for three or four years. and But they don't ever replace their car. So three or four years goes down the track. They've got no money in the bank, no super. The car's now five years older and they haven't either kept up their tools or their training. Um, so I think the biggest mistake that most people going into business, strangely enough, is they don't charge enough. Mm. You actually have to be from day one, make sure you've got a sustainable business. And I think that's the hardest thing because people think that you've got to be cheaper um, to actually have a successful business. You don't. you actually got to give good service and you've got to find ways to add value to that service. That's that's where the competition comes in. But when you cut your price, you're you're actually on a spiral downwards because you won't replace your car. You know, you'll you'll eventually get very tired of not having any money. So my my thing will always be: Are you charging appropriately to make your business sustainable? And if you're not charging enough to make your business sustainable, you might as well stay in the employment of someone. That's right, because it's really just giving yourself a job and you're still going to end up with a broken back and shoulders when you're in your 50s and no money. That's right. You know. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm just sitting here nodding my head off my shoulders because <laughs> I've had that conversation with so many clients and tradespeople complaining about the cowboys coming in and undercutting and mm. how hard that then makes it for everybody else because in the absence of anything else, customers will go and choose a cheaper price if they can't perceive a difference between the two. Um, but it's it's not only does it affect the individual who does charge less, but then it has a flow-on effect to the rest of the industry it and really makes it hard for everybody. Yeah, mm. yeah. So um, great words of advice. And if, if you're one of those people uh, and you're listening to the show and you're charging cheaper than everybody else, uh, please stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, understand that, you know, I always think in, in business – You've got to look at your business further than your own front door. So, uh, and, and that's what a lot of business people do. They only look at their business for what their business is doing. But really, your, your business is part of an industry. And if you want your business to survive, the whole industry has to. So don't do things that suppress the growth of the industry. You've got to see further than your front door. But Yeah, and that goes to, I guess it's hard to ask people to think about the collective, you know, think about society or their region, and, and you would have seen that in local government and, and local politics. Is we, we as humans often become so self-focused, uh, but often it does us such a great disservice to not mm. think about the greater good. I guess. And look, you know, even still to this day with Aussie Light, as much as we, you know, has still have a patent, people will still make them and you've got to decide then you know are you going to spend a hundred thousand dollars with the lawyers to stop a patent but you know sometimes there are um, products out there that don't have a patent they're modeled on yours but they're not the same quality they're a third of the price and you know every so often you've got to say well okay we're going to ignore that as frustrating as that is but you know there's a great there's a great story within our own company that, you know, there's a competitor, another country, um, third of the price. Some of our sales would say you need to drop your price because, you know, and we go, yeah, but we're a better product. Uh, we've got all the pieces of paper because we've, you know, invested in our product. And, you know, it's only been in the last nine months or so that, numbers of clients and I'm talking the NHS in the UK the health system we're now getting them um, because they're they're leaving the other product now we've had to wait wait that out that's been um, a long time a couple of years but we've waited it out and and I would um, hazard a guess that you've been able to wait that out because you have charged what you're worth Mm, and so you've built a solid business that isn't going to fall over you know with a month or two or three of challenges like that and that's such a problem i see with tradespeople is if they are founded on that cheap price you can't survive somebody else coming in and undercutting you for very long but if you are charging what you're worth you've built a good foundation and you can actually be i guess survival of the fittest or last man standing in some sense Mm. so it's it's another great point joy Uh, yeah, so that's been a great story for us to now pick up the NHS again in the UK because that's obviously a lot of hospitals. It's a little ironic that they're putting your cigarette lighters in and they're the like health service. <laughs> I- um, and look, I, I know a lot of people say that to us. We, we don't anymore because we actually understand, unfortunately, um, how prisons work and how psychiatric wards work. And... And oil, oil, you imagine you're an oil refinery, 
some people are always going to smoke. And so they'll smoke in the inappropriate place. So by having our lighters in smoking rooms, we also supply now to airports and they, they provide these rooms at airports. And so they can ban lighters and matches. So if you're stepping on an oil rig somewhere, you're not allowed to have anywhere on your personal belongings a lighter or a box of matches, but you're allowed to have your cigarettes. And they know then, the people who've designed the oil rig, well, the smoking platform's there. So you can go down there, as long as you stay there smoking your cigarette, they're not going to have a fire. So it, it is understanding that at the end of the day, people will find a place to smoke. <laughs> it's, the, it's the only predictable things about humans is that they're unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, a lot of people say to us, oh, but they're banning smoking. And we go... Yeah, but there's an awful lot of places still to sell to. <laughs> yeah, and uh, if you want to see an example, because there's a bit of fame here, the lighters are on Wentworth. I know you don't watch TV, Warwick, so you're looking at me blankly, but <laughs> for anyone that uh, watches Wentworth on Foxtel, you can actually see the light, the Aussie light lighters on the show. And we'll, and we'll put some pictures on the website as well because yeah. it's they're great I, to see. I'm sure, like me, there's some listeners out there dying to know how these things work. It's like... What is this thing and how does it work? I know everyone thinks it's a little big lighter. You know, the average price of these lighters is about $1,100 each. Um, and we might sell, uh, you know, a large prison will obviously not have one. They'll have many of them. Oil rigs will have more than one. We've got follow-up with elements. So they're, they're, these are expensive items. But, again, it's, it's the design of them because they were originally designed for maximum security prisons. So... You can't hang yourself on them. You could hose them or have any sort of fluid go into them without being electrocuted. You can put metal into them and you won't get... So it's about what makes them expensive, if that's the word you want to use, um, is that they are just designed for any activity that can go on in a maximum security correctional facility. And, you know, I often say... Michaela's heard me say it. I probably know too much about those facilities, but that they're the challenges we had to overcome. And I love Joy uh, when she gets up at like a local networking event. She says, "Well, I hope no one here in this room will ever use my product." <laughs> and people that don't know always go, "Huh?" <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. So, Joy, one of the questions we like to ask all of our guests on the show is: if you had a thousand tradies in a room, what's one piece of advice you would love to leave them with? Um, don't underestimate your own worth in, in what you're currently doing and I actually think there's a thousand other inventions out there and not in a conscious manner that it overtakes your daily thought but look for those opportunities of um, things that can be developed I mean don't underestimate Australia for its um, um, initiative in what we can design and build they may not eventually be manufactured here, but I still think there's a thousand ideas out there. Don't sell yourself short uh, with money. And if you come up with a good idea, pay to get good advice. Don't, you know, think that... It, it still surprises us to this day that people will ask Ron and I about things to do with patents. And, you know, we have a great answer. Go to a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, we're not lawyers. <laughs> Get a lawyer. Um, so that would be my... Don't sell yourself short. Take good advice. 
Well, thanks so much. It's such a great story, Joy, mm, for awesome. coming in and joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. So there you go. Wasn't what you thought it was, was it? Aussie light. I have to admit, when I heard that, I was thinking lighting, you know, maybe it's some funky LED lighting or lighting control module module they developed or security lighting, talking about the prison stuff. Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, light as in got a light. Yeah, so flameless lighters. Yeah, and having a look at the product and go to the show page, tradiesbusinessshow.com, and uh, go to this episode and have a look at these things. I was trying to picture in my mind while Joy was talking, it's like, what does this thing even look like? And yeah. it's like, oh, you put the thing in there and you press the button and, yeah, it all makes sense now. So, yeah. all Anyone that, could have thought of it. Yeah, <laughs> from being a TV repairman. Who would have Amazing thought? Amazing story. Um, so, there you go. That's the power of innovation and thinking a little differently. And I tell you what, and I, I brought this up um, with Joy in the interview, the biggest thing for me that stuck out from that was sitting on the back deck, feeling jaded about what they were doing, and for my mind, they just put out to whatever you want to call it, the universe, the next door neighbor's dog, or whoever was listening. But they literally planned out their ideal business and bugger me if that didn't come about for I them. I know. So there's something to be said in that putting it out there to the universe and yep. really planning thinking and about goals. planning the seed of your dream life and business and, and yep. you really are subconsciously going towards it then. Yep. So go to tradiesbusinesstoolkit.com and join the Tradies Business Toolkit. Because in there are lots of people who have goals and plans and dreams and all that sort of stuff. And they're sharing them in the private Facebook community. Michaela and I are doing webinars each month, uh, teaching you more about topics such as planning and goal setting, uh, finance, all that sort of stuff. There's templates and other video training. And there's exclusive interview uh, or extended interviews with uh, some of our guests that they give us some deep dive or ninja tips that you can implement in your tradie business. So it's a dollar for the first 30 days. And then it's just 27 bucks per month after that. So if you can't get $27 worth of value out of this thing, uh, really there's something wrong with you and there's probably something wrong with us too, to be honest. That's it. So <laughs> just trial us for a dollar. Yeah. We, we go cheap. One dollar for That's 30 it, days. for 30 days. And, and then if you hate it, leave. If you love it, stay. And also make sure to check out our show sponsors, Face to Face Training. If you want to upskill yourself or your staff, uh, there could be some government rebates available so it doesn't actually cost you anything, but you need to check with the team first because we're no experts. Yeah, don't listen to us. So facetoface.edu.au for more information. Good stuff. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and our interview with Joy Leishman. I certainly uh, had a great time uh, speaking with her. And until next time, see ya. You've been listening to the Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell and Michaela Clark. Want to get off the tools into true business ownership? Find out how at tradiesbusinessshow.com.